Hi. It's nice to be here. I haven't been to a door club for a few years. It's a really nice big crowd here. Uh, so I'm the I'm the old Rudy. Rudy, the, Rudy the elder. Uh, so this is a novel I just started. It's called The Big Aha. And uh, I want to do a book about biotech and have it be sort of like we've seen the computer and the web coming and how it would be to be living in a time when the biotech is really hitting. And a generic name for these things they're making, I decided to call them NURBS. I just like the sound of that. It actually has a technical meaning that's different, but never mind that. So NURBS, and they're a, so it's sort of bio-tweaked. People have learned to be wetware engineers and hack the organisms and sort of grow whatever they want to. That's really the future. There's no reason to be screwing around with silicon chips. I mean, nobody uses gears very much. But we rode the train up today, and that was cool, all those big gears. Anyway, I'll just get started here. Senior year in high school, some of the kids were talking about going to college, but that scene wasn't like in the old days. Not many people did college at all anymore. Sure, there is still a winged ants mating flight aspect. Okay, that's nice. There's still a winged ants mating aspect to higher education. It was a way to find lovers, friends, and future business contacts. But by now, we all had squid skin wrist patches, and we made a lot of our social connections via the web. When we wanted to go out, the web guided us to flash parties with friends or with friends of friends. As for learning things, Sewer College had some intense courses, but the courses were online as well, if you had the patience to channel them, not that many of us did. Mostly you could get by with grabbing piecemeal info off the web, and whatever you forgot, you could look up again. I ended my family's worries about the expense of upper-crust schools and told mom and dad I wasn't going there. They were relieved for about 10 minutes, then they switched to wor worrying about finding me a career. Mom suggested I might help her with her wedding catering. I was, after all, good with the sometimes capricious nerves. And I had the gift of empathy. People always liked me. But no, working my friend's weddings wasn't a role I wanted to hoe. Be an artist with me, said Dad. We can do the traditional thing. Plant the elder and plant the younger. Louisville's high society art dynasty. You draw so beautifully, Mort. You have a vibrant, living line. Thanks, Dad, but what did you see me draw lately? He was a little embarrassed. Well, you know, every once in a while I cruise the social webs. I did a search for you and I saw some sketches. Like that one of your friend Carlos fooling around with a squid skin on his back. And the one of that girl you've been seeing, Reba Ranch Tree, drawn from life, powerful work. Reba liked her picture too, I allowed. It upped her sexability rank. What if, just to start with, you take some of my horse and dog commissions, suggested Dad. Catching the look on my face, he added, and paint some of the estates as well. They're fun, but it'll be a while until you can handle the portraits. He smiled softly. These wealthy women, they're very sensitive, very particular in their needs. I bet, I said. There was an unspoken suspicion around our house that my father was seducing his tastier clients. But Mom wasn't pressing the issue. I had the feeling she was up to something herself. These were topics I like to dwell upon. Indeed, I had a phobia that I'd eventually surf into a video of mom or dad in action, 
eyes bright and features engorged. Not that by now anyone was particularly shocked by scabrous revelations on the web. What with all the pinhead cameras around, everyone cursed, everyone drank, everyone shit, everyone fucked, and most of it was online 24-7. Privacy was gone and we'd gotten over it. You couldn't bust people for the little human foibles anymore. Anyway, I took up Dad on his offer and began working in his studio after school, and when school ended, I stayed on for another three years. Sure, I was eager to leave home and be an artist on my own, but for now, I could still learn from the old duffer, and he was getting me gigs, and he had a primo stash of art supplies. Mostly, Dad and I got along pretty well, but we reached the parting of the ways when I got hold of some NURB paint. This product was designed to put patterns onto old-fashioned plaster walls or onto the bodies of the electric cars that people were still using. Rather than being a high-priced squid skin, the nerve paint came in buckets like house paint. It was alive and it was based on three cultures of slime mold, each mold with its own inherent color, red, yellow, blue. The living paint understood a vocabulary of a few hundred words, what you might call a programming language. Once you'd slathered the stuff onto a wall, it could form stripes, polka dots, nested scrolls, branching filigrees, or, if you're into sampling, a copy of some particular image. Given that the nerve paint layer was several millimeters thick, you also had the option of coaxing it to wrinkle up and form embossed patterns. You could talk to it, and you could push it around with a brush. Quickly, I mastered the nerve paint interface. I sensed this new medium could be richly expressive. In a few days, I was painting vibrant little landscape studies, bedecked with thorns, elephant trunks, and puckers like the faces of little gnomes. And by the end of March, I had a large finished piece that I really liked. Dad was dubious. When I told him he should switch to the new stuff, too, he exploded. I want your creepy, crawly crap out of my studio, he yelled, his long hair flying from side to side. It's evil. Use the good things I taught you, Morton. Go back to the oil paint. That'll be a cold day in hell, I said. In silence, I began packing up the easel, brushes, and canvases that had bummed off Dan. Also, my cans of nerve paint. Just then, one of Dad's clients happened to meander in. Todd Trask, a social butterfly who owned a derby-winning thoroughbred. He lived as a bachelor in an old, exquisitely outfitted mansion on his horse farm overlooking the Ohio River. He had an amusingly campy accent. The man was a fop, a dandy, a knob. I greatly enjoyed it whenever my family and I were invited to his extravagant dues. I've got my portrait of your friend Jason all set, Dad told Todd. Yes, yes, said Todd, ignoring Dad and focusing on me. The hail apprentice in the master's workshop. Greetings, Morton. The exalted blare of shape and color is from your brush? Hmm. I'm thinking it involves the new nerve paint I've been hearing about. Most excellent. Todd leaned in close to my large canvas. He smelled of lavender and country ham. One might fear a cheap, generic effect, but you've made it elegant. Polyrhythms, chaoticity, gnarl, very of the moment. I see a nightmare horse, a crowd in motion, and how sardonic. Fat snails on the track. Une belle bizarrerie. What do you call your, your monster piece, Morton? Cold day in hell, I said, giving Dad a cocky grin. 
That's the title I'm using for this series. Each painting has a subtitle, too. Gauging Trask's interests, I came up with a good one. Cold Day in Hill, Hell, Derby Day, Winner's Circle. I shall have it, cried our Mark. Name your price. Dad got in on the conversation then. He knew much more about business, the business side of art, than I did. If I was actually going to sell my outrageous new work, Dad wanted to be on my side, and, as he later put it, so what if he didn't like the taint of my paint? He'd been wrong about art fans before. Come what may, we plants were a team. Todd, Dad, and I tossed around some numbers, and then I hit on a different kind of deal. I'm just about ready to move out on my own, I told Todd. I'm getting serious about my work, and I'll need my own studio. Would, would you have something like a spare tenant's house that I could use rent-free for a couple of years? And a car? <laughs> How about a grown home and a road spider, exclaimed Todd. Yes, yes, an outsider nerve artist, adding buzz to the Trask name. Hail the patron, a Florentine. Can you promise me first bid on your next few works? He'll be selling through EDDD's gallery, put in Dad, smooth as silk, and she'll set the prices. Certainly E can give a right of first refusal, Todd. But what's a road spider? An ebony tarantula of the night, said Todd, waggling his fingers. An eight-legged steed. He gave me a conspiratorial look. We edgy esthetes must help along the funny duds, eh, Morton? I shall hang cold day in hell above the mantle for an epic debauch. My derby party. I hope there's no danger of that nerve paint crawling off the canvas. Sinister slugs slither in shadow. They slime into the sleeper's slits. He struck a pose as if seeing a vision. That's a nice sentence. Sinister slugs slither in shadow. They slime into the sleeper's slits. <laughs> the, paint can, the paint can claims the stuff is safe, I said laughing. You can denervalize it with ordinary paint thinner. dissolves it. Or use whiskey. I'll guarantee my work for a year in any case. Tell me more about that road spider. Where would you get it? I didn't know they were on the market yet. My cousin Lance, drawled Todd. He's an administrative cog at the Ford plant near the airport. FOMOCO is phasing out wheeled vehicles to grow road spiders for United Mutations. <laughs> They've been testing various models on our country lanes, lending them out to our local artists. Artists, I exclaimed, why? Seems there's a loophole in the Kentucky biotech laws that says a company can deploy an utterly untested nerve, provided the nerve is being developed as a work of art. <laughs> the United Mutations biz boys prevailed upon our venal state legislators to grant the muse an exemption. So Kentucky's a frontier for nerve innovation just now. Morton, your position to become a stellar nerve artiste. So I moved onto a quarter acre of Todd's pasture land atop a little hill near his house. And. Hey, wait. I'm sort of cold up here. It's a little cold up here. Okay. So, all right, here we go. I moved onto a quarter acre, and Todd got me a grown home and a road spider from United Mutations via his cousin at the local FOMOCO plant. I thought of my grown home as a she because she talked to me in a womanly voice, 
And she was, after all, something wombby that I lived inside. I called her Belle. She wasn't overly intelligent or anything. We only talked about simple, practical things. This was in the very early days of growing homes, and Belle was a little funky, even if she did have three rooms. Her walls were damp, and the air smelled green, like a jungle. Nice, in a way, but maybe not all the time. Her membranous windows weren't fully transparent, but they lit in plenty of light. And when I wanted it, my grown home's flesh could glow. Some kind of firefly gene in there. Belle didn't depend on nerve chow. Instead, she spread a big fan of roots underground to pull in all the nutrients she needed. As the deluxe touch, one of her inner walls acted as a squid skin, cruising the web in response to my spoken words. My road spider also seemed female, but in a more menacing sense, maybe like a warrior goddess. Her name was Zix. Zix was gorgeous, sculpted and gleaming like a black chromed racing motorcycle. She had a comfortable seat brought into her back and her eight legs arched high, strongly fortified by carbon fibers. Perched amid Zix's living machinery, I had a smooth ride, if bouncy. Zix could really cover the ground, not as fast as a car, but I'm talking upwards of 40 miles per hour, even without a road. The FOMO co guy who delivered Zix warned me that if she got too hungry, she might stalk off to forage on her own, and that wouldn't be a good thing at all. I was supposed to send a huge helping of nerve chow every morning. I had some large locked casks of the stuff. Zix had a certain low-grade intelligence. Her voice was sweet with a trace of a lisp. She imprinted on me as her owner, and she called me master. A creepy thing about Zix was that the wetware engineers hadn't yet straightened out the horrific look of her churning arachnid mandibles. <laughs> At least her mouth was on her underside. It was wavy riding Zix to school. Everyone would crowd around to look at her and to ask us questions. Zix would recite a sales pitch for the upcoming line of U United Mut Mutation slash Ford Motor Company road spiders. <laughs> when we got home, she'd go to her trough of nerve chow, and then she'd settle down inside a messy funnel web that she'd spun amid the branches of the maple tree beside my potty home. Wanting to justify the goodies that Todd Trask had given me, I got fairly serious about my art. I did three more nerve paintings during the month of April. I liked being an artist. My girlfriend, Reba Ranstree, came over to spend the night as often as her parents would let her, and my pal, Carlos Solera, was dropping by as well. My friends liked to hang out in my studio with my uncanny nerve paintings on display. We'd get high off an online brainwave channel. We had these buzzy little eel pad nerves, kind of like he was just demoing here. We'd put them on our necks. <laughs> Let's see. Let's, okay, we put them on our necks to trickle in the stem. No real data, just itchy rhythms. Like music, in a way. Sometimes when we were riding a channel, I'd be gone enough to let my friends poke into my paintings. No point in being tight, I'd say. Open it up. Yeah, we were in Louisville, but I imagine we were as degeny and loof as the NYC crudes. To make my last spring of high school the sweet, to, less, to make this spring the sweeter, Carlos often brought Jane Roller along. Jane had returned to fraternizing with her peers. 
I love hearing Jane's lively, malleable voice bounce off my grown home's resident walls, a voice that echoed all the way back to my earliest childhood. At this point, I admitted to myself that Jane Roller had been the one for me all along. I was much more interested in her than I was in Reba. I mentioned this to my friend Carlos, and he wasn't again a girlfriend switcheroo. But we weren't sure how to swing it. It was like I was too deeply in love with Jane just to go ahead and tell her. It was that inarticulate youth thing. My big turning point with Jane came during Todd Trask's derby party one night at the start of May. Around dusk that day, I'd given Carlos a ride to my place on the back of my road spider. Zix didn't really like the extra load, but her stronger than metal legs could handle it. When we got to my growing home, Zix was of course very hungry. I thought I'd filled her food trough that morning, so without really looking, I went right inside with Carlos. We wanted to amp up for the Trask party. I was a little nervous about my event, which would involve, I expected, Todd graying at length about my whole day in hell painting over his mantle. Jane and Reba showed up at my home in Jane's electric car, looking like pastel flowers in their nerve dresses. As the sun set, we four keyed in on Luxor new Oh, here it is. A Luxor new brainwave channel that Reba had found. It was crypto, off the grid, on the border of epilepsy. We four flub, flubbed around on my soft floor for an hour or three without really noticing anything in the outer world. Are you sure you fed the spider, said Jane all of a sudden. Her voice was clear and sweet, like a tendril from another world. I sat up in the gloom, pulling off my eel pads, gathering my wits. Down the hill, Todd's party was going full blast. Time to get it together. In the light of the wall's faint green glow, I saw that we four had gotten naked. Carlos was on top of Reba, softly rocking. Yucker, said Jane, not overly upset. Hope my dress can smooth out. The sleek, silky cloth crawled onto her lap. Now you've got me worried about Zix, I said. Did you hear something? Is that why you ask? A floppy dragging sound, said Jane. A dying neigh. Up high? Jane's skin was beautiful, milky, her breasts of a perfect cupable size, but now her dress crawled over them. Jane stared into my eyes, her face framed by the lovely yellow of her hair. Bad brainwaves, she added. Not doing that again, uh-uh. You miss everything. I'm ready to go, I said, pulling up my pants. Did you and I? Don't think so, said Jane, but it's high time. We've been circling each other for so long, and you've gotten exciting. An artist. Before this, you were just, you know, too Luxor for the lecture and like, leave me alone. But now you're on a star quest. Saying this, she made a lo and behold gesture toward my latest work, Cold Day in Hell, colon, two flights up. For this one, I painstakingly painted three pictures on top of each other, sampling some Bosch and Bruegel along the way. I taught my three batches of slime mold to slowly trade places. The result was a multiplex triptych, with the three nerve paintings cycling through hell, Eden, and heaven, my waviest work yet. The Eve in Eden is you, Jane, I said. I thought so, she answered. So sweet. And you're Adam. We kissed for the first time in the closet five years ago. Did you say dying nay, 
I said after a bit, mentally scrolling through our conversation, why did you say that? What I heard, maybe, said Jane, up in Zix's tree? Shit. We went outside of the light, and sure enough, Zix's funnel nest was torn and trembling, blood dripping down. The big spider had dragged a colt in there. Zix was feeding on the weak old horse, and he wasn't quite dead even now. The colt's thin legs did a staccato flutter, as if in frightened protest. But his motions damped down as Zix bit his body again and again. She's venomous, said Jane. Nobody told me, I said weakly. Music was sweeping up from the Trask mansion, and people were silhouetted on the big open porches, their voices rising in self-satisfied honks and quacks. I heard someone yelling my name, Todd, the patron summoning us pet artist. I found a long stick on the ground and poked at Zix, wanting to drive her out of the funnel and away from the colt. I had some half-baked notion of burying the horse's body or at least dragging it off into some underbrush. Maybe Todd would think a fox had killed the colt. This was a very special horse, bred in the old-fashioned way from the derby winner that Tom, Todd owned and potentially worth a million dollars. Leave me, master, said Zix in her sweet, raspy voice. I am feeding. <laughs> get off that horse, damn you. I've got plenty of nerve chow. Just wait and I'll get the trough. I'm sorry, I forgot. I like the horse, said Zix. Recklessly, I poked her again with my branch. With a sudden whirling spasm of motion, the spider popped out the other side of her funnel nest, holding the pathetic dying colt tight with her mandibles, dragging him, by, dragging him by the neck. As if frightened of me, Zix scrabbled down the hill toward Trask's house, her legs arching high and the colt leaving a trail of blood that glittered dark in the party lights. Uncertainly, Jane and I tagged along, and now Todd Trask began yelling. No more hothouse accent. The best goddamn colt I ever owned, he bellowed. Killed by that fucking giant spider. Spotting me, he grew apoplectic. I want you off my farm, you son of a bitch. I never want to see you again. Todd was drunk. By the time he fetched his shotgun from the gun rack in his front hall, Jane and I were back up at my grown home. Get in my car, Jane urged. Never mind Carlos and Reba. They're so goofy. I could hear the gun blasting again and again as Todd wiped out Zix. The music had fallen silent. The guests were mewling in dismay. Come back down here, Morton, shouted Todd. No way. Why don't we go someplace and fuck, said Jane. I don't like to leave my paintings behind, I said, getting into her car. <laughs> Todd might do something to them. Spoken like an artist, giggled Jane as we drove off. Todd won't hurt the paintings. He's being a drama king and he knows it. This big scene makes your art worth even more. So this book is hot off the Amazon servers pretty soon? Uh, actually, actually, no, I just started this book about a month okay. ago. Uh, <laughs> I thought it would be fun to read this chapter. I've just been working on it. Uh, 
If you want to get something online, actually this week I was just working, I've been working on self-publishing e-books. So I did a book of my complete stories. And it's, it's a long book, it's like 380,000 words. It's as long as six books. And you can get it for $4.95. And it's on Kindle and on Barnes and & Noble. And if you go to rudyrucker.com slash Press, you can find it. Or if you go to my blog, rudyrucker.com slash blog. And I'm gonna be, I'll be, be selling it direct from my website pretty soon once I can get uh, some PayPal server type shit happening there. <laughs> right now you can get it as Kindle and Nook. So that's the, the most recent book I did. But, uh, yeah, this novel, The Big Aha, I wanted to go back and do the coming. I've written a book once in the far future with biotech in place, but I wanted to do a book about the transition into biotech. And then I sort of, well, the big aha, that's, you know, what you're always looking for. We're all looking for that. Great. Um, the, the novel, well, one thing that could happen, well, just playing with ebooks, it, it's interesting. I mean, certainly, ebooks are going to kind of probably be the more common medium, like the Kindle or, as you say, a tablet. And so then there's certain constraints that don't apply. Normally, a novel, commercial novel, should be between you know, a certain length, you know, the size that novels are, but it could be a lot longer if it was an e-book or shorter. It could have color photographs in it. I mean, I think we'll see a lot more illustrated novels for sure. Then there's this thing that, linking, there's been attempts for many years to do uh, hypertext where you have a lot of links in your fiction. And it seems like an interesting idea, but actually people don't really like it because you want to sit down, you want somebody to tell you a story, and you don't want to have to like pick the branches and then worry that you picked the wrong one. And you say, well, maybe they'll wander around in it, but people don't really want to run, wander around in your novel for that long. They, they sort of want to read it and then do something else. And once in a while there's a book like, I don't know, like Gravity's Rainbow, maybe a book that you might spend years coming back to.